generations of superheroes, powers, and all sorts of undefined chaos that's consumed our realm. We are the watchers of the multiverse. Judges, figure your guide. Alright, welcome back guys. My name's Jared. I'm Gabe. And Anthony. Alright, and this week we are discussing House of M, written by... Anthony Brian Michael Bendis. Yes, Brian Michael Bendis. Anthony's Anthony Bendis himself. Anthony's Bendis. love. Mm-hmm. All right, let's let's stop now though, because if we keep going, Anthony's <laughs> Anthony will not stop. Uh, that's very true. Uh, but yes, yeah, so we're here to talk about House of M. Uh, we're going to do a spoiler warning for House of M and the uh, the tie-ins for it. Also, a spoiler warning for Avengers Disassembled and a little bit of the Secret Invasion comic series. So if you haven't read any of that, you might want to check that out before listening to the rest of this, uh, this podcast. Uh, but to get right into it, there came a day unlike any other, the worst day in Avengers history. Wanda Maximoff, the Scarlet Witch, had a mental breakdown resulting in the deaths of Hawkeye, Scott Lang Ant-Man, and the Vision. After these events... Wanda was taken to Genosha by Magneto in order to heal uh, with the help of Professor Xavier. Xavier comes at his wit's end and ends up going to both the New Avengers and Astonishing X-Men for help. The combined heroes journey to Genosha to find out what's going on with Wanda and see what she wants to do as half of the group wants to kill her and the other half wants to help her. When they land in Genosha, the world goes white, and when they awake, everything's changed. This is the House of M. Okay. Wow. All right. So a little a little context to that. Anthony told us that he had this this really cool intro written out for to kind of let you guys know the basis of the story and what's going on in this universe and how everything's playing out. I like that you basically took the same bit from each page of every tie-in and every issue of house of m and you verbalized it and i that that was really cool well i mean it's a combination of the usual kind of intro that they do for the avengers where you know there came a day unlike any other you know earth's mightiest heroes blah 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 and the fact that their worst day uh, which is Avengers Disassembled, and which was when Wanda had, you know, her breakdown, and just mashing all that together with kind of your little intro page, your little, um, uh, yeah, your intro page at the beginning of each of the, the comics. Right, okay. After that beautiful intro, what, let's go into all of the tie-ins right. and everything going on. What, what tie-ins were there? There were Spider-Man... There was the Wolverine tie-in. There was the Fantastic Four tie-in. Iron Man. There was the Iron Man tie-in. The Hulk 1999 tie-in. Utopia. The Utopia tie-in. Exiles. You had uh, the prequel series of Avengers, Civil War, and Masters of Evil. Right. You had uh, Uncanny X-Men. New X-Men. You had New X-Men. I think that may have been. Other than individual standalones like uh, Cable and Deadpool. Right, the Cable and and Deadpool. Thunderbolts. But it, all of them coming together and showing every character in the, you know, the Marvel Universe and what's going on with them. And not even all of them g- knowing what's going on, 
being affected and showing what their lives would be like in this parallel universe. It, it's crazy because we, we just saw the Flash movie and now we're reading this and it's very, it's very similar seeing both worlds and both sides of the glass. Well, what's interesting with like seeing the Flash movie and reading Flashpoint like we did um, previously is that with Flashpoint, it's just a whole new breaking of the timeline, which resets everything that happened. With this, I mean, you have an actual break with reality. And they go into that with uh, Exiles and the Uncanny X-Men tie-ins, where they, for Exiles, they're jumping through different universes, and they're like, 616 is broken. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what happened. Like, it's not just that everything's changed. Like, it is broken. And even Uncanny X-Men, you see when uh, Captain Britain and Psylocke and um, Rachel Gray like come back into 616 and everything's just changed. Right. And them trying to like figure out what's going on and then losing themselves to this new reality is very interesting. I wish we would have seen, and maybe they did it in the tie-ins for Flashpoint, but seeing characters get just dropped into the Flashpoint universe beyond Barry Allen and seeing their reactions to everything like we saw in uh, House of Them. Right. I, I agree. Um, Gabe, you've, you've been oddly quiet. This, this was your, your idea for a comic book read. This is Gabe's favorite comic book series. Which is a surprise because it's Bendis, so you would think I'd be the one to <laughs> but uh, I'm the one that was telling them we need to do this. <laughs> what, what did you think about rereading it? What was your reaction? What, when was the last time you read it? I originally read it... It was right when I moved in with you. So it was around 2019. Okay. So about four years ago. Um, I remembered a good portion of it, but it was... I for completely forgot the ending. So it was really cool experiencing that again. Okay. Um, going into the tie-ins, I know we listed all of the many. There were 40, 42 issues, including... 47. 47 issues including the main tie-ins and then you had the extra 15 with civil war uh avengers and masters of evil and then the extra what if with spider-man with what if gwen stacy survived and came to spider-man's universe that was insane but we will get into that maybe maybe right now actually maybe we should just well and it's interesting that we're talking about that now because the first hero that you see wake up in the house of m universe is peter parker and you see like that first panel when he wakes up you see the wedding picture of him with gwen and like all right so something's clearly different before it jumps right into the rest of the story you know that immediately but um what was your guys favorite tie-in Series-wise. The Wolverine. Wolverine? Wolverine was a good one. The Avengers tie-in was one of my favorites just because when I first read it, I just I loved the different takes on the characters. With Luke Cage leading With Luke Cage it? leading this, this uh, subversive freedom fighter-esque Avengers. I mean, it's basically new Avengers at that point, if you think about More it, with less, all the yeah. characters. Well, it was interesting to see the different... Because you see... The Punisher, which I thought was interesting to have him included in there. Well, he was... As a cop. Right. 
But then seeing, like, the different... You get Hobie Brown, uh, which fans of Across the Spider-Verse... It's not that Hobie Brown, but a version of him becomes Spider-Punk. But you also see, like, different mutants as cops. You see Blob as a cop, which I think is the funniest thing. That was cool. Uh, You see Taskmaster as a cop. Mm -hmm. And I think one of my favorite panels in that is when, after Taskmaster gets the shit beat out of him from Luke Cage... I feel like they really downgraded Taskmaster. Oh, they absolutely did. They were using him mainly just as the sniper to try to shoot him, who ends up shooting... I hated that, though, because Taskmaster is such an overpowered mutant. Well, and that's the thing, is that he's not a mutant. Is that his whole thing is just he remembers... And that's the... He, you know, he memorizes movement, and it's really interesting. There's kind of like a... a, Not a subplot, but like a, a point there that they kind of gloss over where they actually kind of elaborate with Spider-Man, where people who have these abilities but who are not mutants pass themselves off as mutants to be accepted in society. So Taskmaster passes himself off as a mutant. Nobody runs any kind of test or any kind of check on him or anything else. They're like, oh, this guy can do all this shit. He's a mutant. He has to be. And one of my favorite panels is after he gets the shit beat out of him and Blob's talking to Warpath and... He's like, or Thunderbird. He's talking to Thunderbird, and he's like, uh, yeah, you know, I can't imagine you know, somebody passing themselves off as mutants. But, you know, I mean, to be a human would suck. Not that I would know, because I'm, I'm a mutant. Yeah. All of these are mutants. Yeah. And Thunderbird's <laughs> like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, like, to the benefit of us all or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, that's, like, those, like, little little bits and pieces. That's that what I'm confused funny. about. Why don't all of the non-mutants with actual powers just go up and pull a spider-man and say hey i am a mutant you don't know how i got these powers i was born with them well how are they gonna get a radioactive spider though well i mean you have luke cage for perfect example Well, that's what i was gonna say so in avengers specifically you have luke cage who has his steel heart skin and they the prison that he was at where he got his abilities was like half destroyed the records are destroyed you don't know that he's the same dude. You have no idea. He could have passed himself off as a mutant this whole time. Uh, even in that group, Iron Fist could have passed himself off as a mutant. Uh, Mark Spector, not so much. Hawkeye, not so much. Like, most of those others, Tigra could have, Tigra, Tigra could have passed as a mutant. And they originally think she's a mutant. And so it's very interesting to see that some of these people are so proud to be human that they don't even think to masquerade as mutants whereas spider-man and taskmaster did uh gabe why do you say that wolverine was your favorite tie-in oh i love that whole nick fury twist to it yeah that talk about that so it for me it was between spider-man and wolverine okay but we all know i'm a spidey guy right <laughs> but um just the fact that mystique was nick fury the whole time i never saw that coming Right. I thought we were actually going to get to see like an old man Fury for a second. That that would that would have been something. It also tied very closely into the main series, which is what I liked about it. Okay. Well, you know what's really interesting about, and I, I thought of this after reading the original, the main story. I thought of it again when I was reading the Wolverine tie-ins. Scott and Wolverine are both in House of M, where they can have wherever whatever they want. Right. Neither of them think to have Jean Grey come back. 
neither both both wow. men are in Damn. love with Jean Grey, and neither of them think to have her come back. Scott's married to Emma Frost. I mean, how people. long has it been? Well, she died this time around. She died during New X Men, which was right before the Astonishing X Men series started. So you're talking about maybe a few years. Because she came back after she initially died, then she came back and died, came back, died, came back. Died, That's kind of messed up. That's, but it's it's really <laughs> interesting to see you have Scott marrying Emma Frost, which I guess makes sense because they're in a relationship at that point in the main comic. But then Wolverine, instead of him being like, I want Jean, it's I want Mystique. And then she also makes the comment about him having a redhead fetish, which I thought was hilarious. I thought that was Jean at first. That's what I... I think that's what you're supposed to be led to believe. Yeah, they want you to think... Yeah. But it's so interesting to me that neither one of them wanted Jean to come back to life. And I think that would have been a great what-if issue. That is true. If they did, what if one of them wanted Jean to come back? And then seeing that play out, and then whether or not she would come back to the main universe. If they were going to do any kind of what-if issue, I'm so happy that they did the Gwen Stacy one. Well, there's a, a second one, too, um, which is what if uh, Wanda says no more powers instead of no more mutants? That is a very mm. good what if issue because it plays out where everybody loses their powers. Spidey loses his powers. The X-Men lose their powers. Um, you know, Captain like, America loses powers. No everybody loses them. Everybody loses their abilities. And so then you see everything play out, and it's basically like Iron Man's the only hero left because he has the armor. Right. And he's getting the shit beat out of him because all the villains who are like tech villains are like coming out and doing all this stuff. Well, I mean, what about Hulk, though? I don't think it shows what happens to Hulk at that point. But then you see like Spider Man, then everybody kind of. Ri- well, then Red Skull ends up getting his hands on the Cosmic Cube, and he like becomes. tries to become like this dictator. Okay. And Iron Man has souped up a lot of the old Avengers in armor. So you get, like, Wolverine in armor, uh, Captain Marvel's in armor, Rhodey. Oh, that's cool. And then you see Peter end up breaking out his web shooters. and come out, Even though he doesn't have his strength, he doesn't have his speed or anything he's else. He's got the web shooters. He's got the web shooters. And seeing that interaction and that fight with Red Skull is really, really cool to see. Okay. No, that is... I'd have to read that. I definitely recommend that one. Um... I want to talk about why. Why why the hell Peter shaved his head? Why? It's, it was so wrong. Why? I was... When when you see him in the main story, and he's got, like, the shaved down head, my first time seeing that was like, what is going on with him? And then seeing, like, the, the tie-in, and he's just like, I just wanted something different. And there's like, no context no behind it. For it. He doesn't give any reason why he's he's a new person, maybe new personality. But I hate it. It might be the new personality. That might be the big change. It gives me severe Lex Luthor vibes. I could say, or if you ever read the the Teen Titans, uh, when Superboy gets controlled by Luthor, yeah, he shaves his head and, and yeah. he like puts the L on his shirt and everything, and he becomes Connor Luthor. Yeah, there were so many times in that comic book where I was just like, when did Xavier get here? What's <laughs> happening? Well, and what's interesting is seeing, like, the, the different takes on the villains. But the, yeah. my favorite bit, other than his psychotic break, is his relationship with Jameson. And it's the fact that Jameson, he's like, you know, I was your whipping boy all throughout whatever. 
and now that I'm the big star, I'm going to hire you and pay you an obscene amount of money, but I'm going to make fun of you and give you all kinds of Yeah, because Uncle Ben made a point and said every time Peter insulted Jameson, he doubled his pay. Yeah. But it's funny to see that even with the increased pay, Jameson's like, yeah, like, I'm, I'm done. Like, it's getting to that point where I'm done. And then, lo and behold, the Green Goblin shows up, gives him Peter's diary, which was an interesting twist, having him just read bits of Peter's diary, like, on air. I was like, this this feels weird, just reading this. Yeah, but what's crazier is that Peter was the Goblin. Well, yeah. That, I thought that, seeing that kind of a break, and you always see in the main comics, like, Peter's always this close to breaking down. Yeah. And seeing that actually play out and... He's you know, completely we, blacked out. And we haven't even touched on the fact that Peter has a kid in this universe. Richie Parker. Richie Parker. Named, named after his dad. father. Yep. And it's interesting to see, you see a lot of the characters who would be dead in the main universe. You know, Captain Stacy, Gwen, Uncle Ben. Hawkeye. Alive. Hawkeye. But, oh, but in, in, in Spider-Man's main one. I'm sorry. Hawkeye coming back was one of the greatest things, and we're going to come back. I'm sorry, I was just I so happy Hawkeye. that Hawkeye came back. Uh, but the for the Spider-Man one, like, seeing these characters come back, but then also seeing, like, Rhino is his bodyguard. Which, that was a really fun was really, was really interesting. And then Rhino going after Crusher, uh, Creel, the, the... Thinking he was the Green Goblin. Thinking he was the Green Goblin and beating him, like, in within an inch of his life. Yeah. Uh, is just insane. The, the entire thing is great. And the, the final, what I always think is the final panel, because I forget that there's basically like a post-credits thing where they're like fishing, is the, the suicide-esque scene. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. after all of that... Um, oh my god, no. When, when I read that, I immediately texted Anthony a screenshot of right, Spider-Man faking his death. He didn't know if Gabe read this issue yet yeah i didn't know how far gabe was into it and i took a screenshot of it i sent it to anthony and i go this gave me chills or i don't know what i said but it was well and you see like uncle ben then just taking the picture and peter's just like hanging from the bridge he's dead and that in my brain when i first read that was such a striking picture I just immediately thought that, that was the end of the issue. I completely forgot that there was the whole thing with them going fishing and you find out Peter faked his death and everything. I thought he was dead for a second. Me too. And uh, that's why I texted you immediately before reading any further. What the hell? The, the note he sent to Magneto gave me chills though. I love that. If you want me to stay dead. Leave me alone. I I love that. And I love seeing like different characters already kind of itching under the rule of Magneto throughout before you get to the big fight at the end of yeah. of the main story. Uh but what's also interesting is that this entire Spider-Man miniseries takes place between issues 1 and 2 of um, of the House of M. Because issue 2 picks up with them back in New York and if you read the What If series you're, they lead you uh, to believe that after they go to after they go fishing or whatever, they come back into New York and that's then when Peter gets picked up by Wolverine and the Avenger group. Okay. 
So maybe it's not issue two. It might be like issue three or something. Like I that. was wondering when it kind of took place on what was on when he got picked up because I feel like it's kind of out of order with how we read it. It feel, well, and the, the thing with tie-ins like that is that you never know unless there's like a, a hard and fast guide as to what the timeline is and where it comes into play. It kind of just it's hard to really tell. And if you're reading them, like you guys read the series on the Marvel Unlimited app. And I read, because I have the whole thing, uh, physically, I read the trade paperbacks. And going in, like, I'm not reading two issues, putting it down, reading the next one, and going like that. So it's hard to really figure out the timeline there when you're trying to read everything in these kind of batches with the the specific series. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the one good thing, is that it just gives us the order of everything. So I'll read a Spider-Man, then a Fantastic Four, then an Exiles, then it'll go back to the main story. But now that you guys shared your opinion on favorites on the tie-ins, I think that my favorite, personally, was the Fantastic Four tie-in. I loved it so much. Dark. It was, yeah, that's why I loved it. The, the way <laughs> Doom treats Ben. The it fools me. Oh, I the hated it. it. The it instead of the thing. For those of you newcomers that are just listening to know about the know about the comic series, the new Fantastic Four members is Doctor Doom leading the Fantastic Four. The it as Ben Grimm, prior known as the Thing in our universe. The Invincible Woman, Doctor Doom's wife, and then. The Inhuman Torch, Doctor Doom, and the Invincible Woman's son. And it is such a great twist on everything going on because it, the Fantastic Four is just that we know is dead. Reed Richards, Sue Storm, Johnny, Johnny Storm. No, Johnny Storm Johnny's still alive. No, Johnny's alive. It was white uh, wing who else was no it was uh, John Jameson it was Jameson's son was the other one in the in the plane he was that's right member. yes and then Johnny Storm is with Iron Man doing all that stuff but Reed Richards and Sue Storm are dead and the thing is now the it and Dr. Doom Dr. Doom just beats on the it like and he lies to him he says he's trying to cure him but really he tried to enhance him the it Ben Grimm is barely verbal because they just, as you said, they keep enhancing him, trying to make him stronger and more so their crazy dog because that's what they want. And I, I do really like how Doctor Doom goes about his plans with his family to overrun Magneto and take over as Doctor Doom would, as Doctor Doom does. And coming up with a really good plan and failing miserably. Well, it's, it's funny to see because one of the things that Doom always wants is is his mom. Like that's it. Like he wants in the main comics, he's always trying to save his mom from Mephisto, like trying to save her soul and everything. And seeing the mom like in a wheelchair or whatever, in a chair, just kind of hunched over in front of the fireplace and being like you're good but you're not good enough you have to over like she's she's almost puppeteering him from the background saying you need to do more 
to become this ruler that you're meant to be. And then she gives him up. Yep. Then she completely sells she him out. Him, yeah. Because Magneto is about to kill her. And she goes off on this tangent saying, He's not my son. I don't love him. I swear I'm loyal to you, this, that, and the third. And Magneto says, You know what? All right, cool. And it completely breaks Doom, and that's exactly what Magneto wants. Magneto is so twisted in this universe, and He's just so, so much of a dictator. He can make anything happen. But what's interesting is that with all of that, he still recognizing recognizes that Doom is a good, not ally, but... He's pawn. useful. He's useful. And so that's why then at the end of House of M, you see him invited to... You know the celebration, um, which is like interesting if you're reading the the tie-in after reading House of M, and being like, all right, how did they get from point A from point B? Like, why does Doom Doom's doing all of this stuff? Why does Magneto still invite him to the party? Like, is this out of order? What's going on? And you find out just because Magneto again realizes Doom's useful and just kind of keeps him on hand. But what's also interesting is they make reference in the main story to uh, Reed and Sue's death when, uh, going back to Cyclops and Emma Frost when they're talking initially Emma Frost is some kind of psychologist because she's a psychic and uh, Scott says oh, you know, who do you have to go see today? And she goes, oh, the Richards boy and he's like, oh, is that the one whose parents died in the in the shuttle crash or something like that yep. and that ties everything all together um well and also so going into the the members of the new fantastic four so uh the was it the invincible woman the invincible woman yeah her name's valeria so she was like a childhood sweetheart of doom in the main comics yep and that's why when doom delivers sue's baby in the main comics he names her Valeria based off of that love. Okay. He he's given because he saves her life, he's given the ability to name the child. So he names her after his childhood sweetheart. Which is odd. Right. odd. But and then the <laughs> It's the, Doom. What what more Doom, do you really yeah. expect? And yeah. then uh, the inhuman torch, uh, who's Christoph um, Von Doom is like his ward in the comics in the main series. But those Ghost Rider powers, and, and he has Ghost Rider powers. And there's a really cool, I think it's cool, uh, She-Hulk series where he's trying to. Christoph is trying to get away from Doom, and he's seeking asylum in the United States. And Jen Walters becomes his immigration attorney, <laughs> and has to like file all like the necessary paperwork. And so, because, as you guys know, I work for a law firm. So they start going into the, like, all right, well, did you did you file the EOIR-18? Did you file the, the G-28? This and that. And I'm like, I know those forms. I've filled those <laughs> out before. Uh, but going back to the, the story, like, seeing this take on the, really, the frightful four is what I think they end up calling themselves in this. Seeing this fearsome take... Four. The fearsome, fearsome four. four. That's what it is. Um... But seeing specifically Doom's powers, like kind of how he can morph like the metal on him, I just thought was wild. Yeah, like Colossus type motherfucker. Yeah, you never really think about it, but yeah, Magneto could do that with Doom and just completely rearrange him. Very similar with Wolverine. Yeah, 
Um, Instead, he took everything from him and made him watch. Basically. And now what more does he have to lose but to be loyal? But I also want to go into uh, the single issue of Captain America, which I loved. I love seeing how it would play out if Cap never went into the ice. I thought it was crazy for to see him and Peggy get a divorce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's something that we don't think about. We just think that's the long-lost love. They were destined to be together. But in reality, they, they really... It, it could happen, yeah. And then growing up and seeing Magneto as a similar Hitler and just completely being shot down. Technically, he is a human... Well, what's really interesting with that comparison when they made it in the comics is, you know, Cap saying something about uh, Magneto being kind of like Hitler, and it's like, yeah, but he was he was uh, he was in the Holocaust, like so he knows, like Magneto knows what Hitler is and what he likes. So seeing that comparison when he's talking about somebody who lived through and who was in the camps is just very fascinating for me to see. And then immediately being fired and shut down because... And that's exactly what would happen in this world. He would be shut down because of the rising dictator that has eventually completely taken over. And I'm very curious, actually, where that... Kind of jumping back and forth. That one girl going through the main um, House of M series... Mm -hmm. That uh, what, Layla Miller. Layla Miller, yes, Layla Miller, who was able to just completely make everybody remember. And I'm wondering if you know more about that. So Layla Miller was created, as far as I'm aware, was created for the House of M series. So she didn't exist before this point. After House of M, she ends up being part of the uh, the group X Factor that's being run by. Uh, James Maddox, the multiple man. Okay. And so it's him, it's Guido, it's Siren, Richter, Wolfsbane, and I think that's everybody. There's uh, Monet. Monet is the last one. I knew I was missing one. And so they're basically this mutant detective agency, post-House of M. And Layla shows up, and she's like, yeah, I know, you know, I was part of House of M. I know what happened with all the mutants. I know, you know, it's good because she retains all of her memories. And so then they kind of try to do like all of these like mutant detection thing and try to help mutants who had lost their powers. Mm-hmm. And there's a very good, it's the, the actually the Civil War tie-in, because uh, Civil War takes place shortly after House of M with X-Factor where Quicksilver shows up. And he's been, because he had originally lost his powers at the end of House of M. And he gets the power through the Terrigen Mist from the Inhumans, where he can now give powers back to mutants. Or so you're led to believe. Mm-hmm. And Layla's like, yeah, you're my, you're my nemesis. Mind <laughs> you, she's like 12 years old. She's like, you're, you're my nemesis. You're a bad man. You're, you're my nemesis. <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to stop you. And so then the Sounds entire thing is her like, doing all of this stuff just to fuck with Pietro so that he can't actually meet with X-Factor. Okay. And then she, there's some kind of time travel thing that happens. And then she ends up marrying multiple men. 
it's a whole thing past that point. But her whole thing in House of M is she can basically unlock because she's some kind of weird, not exactly a telepath. But, but like, she's able to unlock those memories that Scarlet Witch was able to tuck away. Yeah, she's like psychic adjacent, I would say. Because mm-hmm. uh, in the main universe, then she has almost like these precognitive powers. Like she can kind of see the future. Mm-hmm. So it's very... They don't really properly explain how her powers work in House of M. Other than that it's just unlocking everybody's memories. Right. Uh, but what I find interesting tying it back to Captain America is in the main series, they come up on Cap, who's, you know, 100 years old, and they're like, oh yeah, we can't we can't use him, don't worry about that. And she still gives him back his memories. You see the light flash in his eyes. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I would love to see, like, his reaction to that. Because you see every other character after that. At least give some, you know, motivational speech to, you know, carry on, do this, let's go. Well, you know what's really interesting... I'm, I'm going to jump sideways from Captain America to the... We're always jumping everywhere. Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, to the uh, the House of M Civil War series, which is the prequel series to House of M. You see the rise Great of the Magneto. series. Highly recommend. And, oh, yeah. So well done, in my opinion. Uh, but with the Captain America series, you see Cap's story play out. You see him joining NASA, which I thought was really cool, being like the first man on the moon and everything. I absolutely love that. But I guess when he Captain gets fired is when he, is when he loses the shield. Because he doesn't have the shield anymore. Because that's government property. That's government property. But then you see, at some point during World War II, the mission where Bucky is presumed dead still happens. Because in House of M Civil War, Bucky comes back as Winter Soldier. And he's got the arm. He's got the metal arm. And he's got the shield. So somehow he came down and was put through some kind of program with the Americans instead of the Russians, and is now also operating with the S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, He became the new Captain America. Basically. And the fact that the the strike team in that is him, Nuke, and Mimic, I thought was fascinating. So to walk everybody kind of through Civil War, you have Magneto starting off with him having his first daughter. She ends up dying because people see him using his abilities it's a canon event it really yes um so that daughter dies the uh his wife runs off you find out she's also pregnant again and she's pregnant with the twins and then you follow his story throughout basically his rise to power him fighting apocalypse which i thought was amazing like him joining forces with apocalypse and then fighting him later i love that dialogue the dialogue's fantastic and even him just frying apocalypse's brain but then after all of this and after all of this uh magneto is in chenosha he has you know his own country now and he's trying to get recognition and the U.S. is like, yeah, no, we can't have that. We're going to send in, basically, a strike team to take him out. And the strike team is Bucky Barnes, uh, Nuke, who is so mentally unstable. And I love the fact that the United States government just decides to use him whenever they want. I'm saying that very sarcastically. It's their own personal suicide squad. Oh, my God. Well, and that's basically what it is. And then Mimic, which is fascinating, because I thought Mimic... I still think Mimic is a mutant. So it's interesting that he's working for the United States. 
I think my favorite part about this series, or at least the House of M perspective, was you got to see the different version of Charles and Magneto's relationship. You get to see them as if they stayed friends yeah. instead of splitting off. Yeah, they saw eye to eye. And, well, and, and, it really, kill, and it killed Professor X. Well, and that's what I was going to say. And it's really interesting to see because you see in the main story, you come across Magneto comes up to like the memorial for Xavier and they never tell you what happens to him. Yeah. Just that he's dead, he's gone, oh well. That's and, why we do recommend reading Civil War before you read any of the main Yes, issues. I would say read read House of M Civil War first and then read the House of M series just that way you see kind of the build up to House of M. Uh, but it's what I so worth it. Sorry. I, you're good. Uh, what I find really fascinating with all of that is Xavier gets stabbed and killed in Civil War. What do they do with his body? Because his body's not buried at the memorial. Right. And is he really dead? Like that's what I want to know. I, yeah, you see him get stabbed and then he's just gone and then that's it yeah but that's just the perspective of things wanda put in place that's true did she actually stab him that's a good point well and what's interesting is if you read if you continue the x-men comics post house of m xavier's been depowered Mm -hmm. and he also has the ability to i i don't know if he was no he wasn't walking at that point he was still using the chair at the end of house of m he can walk or post house of m he can walk and he has no powers, which is why they can't find him at the end of the, right. the series. Um, I mean, it's also very possible because at the end of the series where Wanda... No, it was at the end of Civil War, I believe, where Wanda killed off and completely erased uh, when Nuke... <laughs> when Nuke went up to kill the Scarlet Witch and she just said, Nope, I don't like you here. Gone. It's not just that. She says, I, you, what was it? It was something along the lines of, you, I gave you your mind back. Because he, before that, was just this mindless killer. She's like, I gave you your mind back, and this is how you repay me. Mm-hmm. Another scene that's similar to that is when she carries Sabretooth in, and they're like, get away from him, he'll hurt you. And then you just see her, like, go into the shadow, and she's like, I doubt he'll, he'll try to hurt me again. Well, it's really interesting to see, like, Sabretooth as just the caged pet. Yeah. That they just release whenever they need him to go after somebody. And then the fact that he kills Graydon Creed, who's, like, his son. Mm. Or, like, his descendant, or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, And they write it off as an animal attack, which, not wrong. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But the kind of spiritual sequel to Civil War is the Masters of Evil series. Which, uh, uh, House of M, Avengers, Civil War, and Masters of Evil were actually released a couple of years after the main series came out as kind of these prequel series so you see, you know, more of the world that was going on. So it wasn't coming out at the same time that the the main series was coming out. And what I love about the Masters of Evil series, I'm a big Hood fan. I was about to say the Hood. I absolutely love the Hood. Parker Robbins, uh, he's a psychopath, but he can do no wrong. I just, uh, he can do a lot wrong. But I just, I love, I love the character. I've loved him. Every time he's popped, uh, Bendis brings him into uh, the New Avengers series after this. 
as this like big player um basically doing what he tries to do in house of m like he he gets this big criminal organization going and i just absolutely love love the character i love that he kind of just brought together this heist crew and taught them like I, I don't know if you guys have seen the money heist great show it's very similar what they did there whole classroom this is what we're going to do this is how we're going to do it this is how we're going to get away with it and it's perfect the way he teaches them and i love the dialogue from all of the villains that we know and love and it's it's the entire series was so cool well and what i think is really cool is he tricks himself into becoming a freedom fighter like he's like all right you know we, we have this big criminal organization and, you know we're gonna we're gonna take a page out of the mob's handbook we're going to create our own human society and and the humans and we're just going to use this as a, as a distraction so i'm going to be over here you know yelling about you know mutants suck and humans you know deserve rights and all this stuff and then this group's going to go break into this bank and you guys go do that and we're going to clog up the streets so that you can go do that and then it slowly becomes well wait but like humans really aren't being treated that well and we should probably do something about this to him then liberate and it's it's interesting to watch his parker's movement and then seeing it in parallel with magneto's rise yeah. because parker then it's all about trying to provide for his kid provide for his ex-wife all that stuff and then he goes and liberates a country where humans are second class citizens it grows into something more and then grows into something more i really wish that we saw the mask's face that's always been something that's interested me in that and then later on in the new avengers series because she pops up as uh parker's love interest then as well mm -hmm. and i just i want to see her face like that's the whole i want to see what's so mangled about it i just want to see it but the fact that uh, who was it that said that the um one of the brothers that could uh rearrange flesh right before he died said i could fix your face i could make you better i can oh, tell. It was one, of the, one of the madison brothers yeah one of the twins and said i could you know make you look right and parker answered for her she's fine bang well and just a, a quick edit it's the the jeffries brothers the ones madison jeffries and i can't think of the other one's name and what's interesting is madison jeffries later becomes part of like the main x-men book when they go and have utopia their own island later on in the comics and he pops up like here and there he's doing all this stuff and i'd only ever known madison i never knew there was apparently the second jeffrey's brother whether or not he existed before house of m that can control technology that can, no, no no madison's the one who can control technology that's the one, right, who yes. can, the one who can morph like the right flesh. i'm sorry i got it backwards and seeing him absorbing people and become like this giant this flesh monster, I was, like, this, I was like, this makes me, this it, uh, this <laughs> makes me like deeply uncomfortable. Oh, I was like, I don't like what I'm seeing here. Nah. And their faces, the two of them, is just wrong on so many levels. Well, and the fact that Parker then kills him just by getting absorbed and then letting the demon take care of everything which fun fact uh, the demon who inhabits the cloak is dormammu or like one of his lesser demons dormammu i've come to bargain 
I thought it was crazy seeing Wolverine with a gun as a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's why that was my favorite. I thought it was insane seeing him shooting people and using a gun because Wolverine is known to hate guns. Well, what's interesting is like you see it later on gearing up for death of Wolverine, which happens years in the future, where he then loses... His regenerative regenerative abilities, so he can't use his claws as much. He then takes up a gun because that's all he can. Well, really he use. was he was also in the war. Well, that's true. But too. I'm just as Wolverine. No, I, I'm used to seeing him up close and personal yeah. and slicing and dicing and being the best there is at what he does. And so, yeah, seeing him with a gun and seeing him. When he's talking to, I don't remember who he was talking to in the main series, and they're like, "Oh, well, what did you, what did you get, or what did you want to be?" He's like, "I guess I just always wanted to be Nick Fury." And they're like, "Oh, that's <laughs> interesting." Um, but it's just, well, and let's talk about let's talk about the Red Guard, his team, because it's him. You have Sebastian Shaw running the whole thing. Yeah, you've got Jessica Drew as the token human. You've got Toad, of all people. you got Taskmaster. You got, Well, no, Taskmaster was part of the cops. I'm sorry, yeah. You've got uh, Nightcrawler, and you've got Mystique. And Rogue. And you got Rogue. Yes. And that's just such an interesting... It's an interesting lineup, but I'm going to focus in on Jessica Drew. And I know, Jared, I mentioned this while we were texting about it. That there was you secret invasion. About it. it was in the group chat with you. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were in on it. We were texting about Spider-Man Two one on one. Yeah, no, it was just the one Spider-Man picture. Uh, Jared wanted to traumatize me by showing me Spider-Man <laughs> hanging, and I was like, I've seen that. Um, but no, I mentioned that there's uh, secret invasion hints in yes. House of M or kind of callbacks. So, Bendis also writes the Secret Invasion series. And during the New Avengers tie-ins... Does he now? Yes. Uh, During the New Avengers tie-ins, there's two specific issues where you see it from the points of view of Skrulls who were in House of M. Okay. And those two Skrulls, Jessica Drew, Hank Pitt. Mm. And so then that like Jessica Drew, I feel like you don't see it as I mean it, it goes through them and, and them realizing something's changed because they're not like the same physiology. Like they've had their bodies change, their like DNA change that magic and certain things aren't supposed to affect them as much. Right. So they almost immediately they wake up and know that something's wrong. And Jessica Drew in the main series, you don't really see that as much. You don't see her kind of change or, or anything like that in the main House of M series. Or even in the uh, the Wolverine tie-ins, you just kind of see her there as the token human. Uh, but what's fascinating is Hank Pym, there's a panel where he's talking to Hank McCoy. And McCoy's telling him, like, you know, you can't map this genome, you can't do this, you can't do that. And it just keeps cutting to panels of just uh, Pym's just blank face. Bendis goes back and provides back like thought dialogue in that. And it's when he has the blank face, it's him flashing back to being on Skrullos and his life as a Skrull and how everything's wow. changed. And it's really interesting that, you know, however many years later, Bendis goes back and provides context to that. 
That is really cool. I've been keeping count. You've said Bendis nine times so far. I'm talking about two of his series. That's good. That's 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 tame. That's tame. <laughs> that that is that is tame. <laughs> uh, that is very t- and there's more coming because I got I got a couple more other uh, kind of inclusions from what he's he adds in the new Avengers series because he's writing that at the same time this is coming out and after House of M comes out uh, and so um, I'll be talking more about Bendis as we're as we're going along here. I'm sure. I'm sure you will. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting. I'm getting number counts for every time I say the name. Uh, but yeah, so that was the the new Avengers kind of tie into that with the secret invasion and the scrolls being on Earth. At the very least, those two characters specifically. What did we think about the Hulk, who that did not was. at all play a part in any of the main House of M tie-ins? It was interesting to or see... Or any... I'm sorry. Any of the main House of M issues. It was interesting to see him just kind of dropped in Australia. Now, I don't know if this was just in the physical version or if it was also in the digital versions that you guys read. But did, did it have, like, the, the pulse, like, the um, the newspaper articles? Yeah. Okay. So, and it mentioned something about Hulk in Australia. Yeah. And then it just... That's, like, all it, it really yeah. is. And so seeing him kind of, in that moment, he becomes one and actually kind of accepts the Hulk. I mean, he lets the Hulk out just to basically do his dirty work. But seeing him find this middle ground is interesting to see. And then him ruling Australia, I thought was fantastic. He becomes a dictator. And I thought that... The, the Hulk series was actually really funny and had a lot of comedic purpose to it because um, there was this one, this one panel with him as a dictator. He was um, giving an order saying, I want this from this certain place and if not, Hulk will smash. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> there, there's another one where um, Hulk as Hulk went and asked the army of um I think it was AIM or mm. something that mm-hmm. was attacking them and he asked who attacked my people and everybody just pointed <laughs> to one guy over there and it was it was great what I thought was really cool and I so I did not read any of the Hulk issues before or after the House of M tie-in so I don't know if this character existed before this miniseries mini or if she showed up afterwards or what's going on. But the character of Scorpion I thought was very interesting. The the girl who has like the right, like, yeah. toxic the, um, the daughter. Touch, the daughter of uh, Monica Rappuccini. Um, who, anybody who's played the Avengers video game, uh, Marvel the Avengers, is the head of AIM in that series. Or in that game. A fun little Easter egg for you. Yeah, uh, she's like the the scientist supreme of AIM, uh, but it's yeah her daughter, and I thought the character was fascinating. And for the longest time, I thought the character of Abigail Brand, who shows up in the X Men comics later on or during this time, uh, who seems to have similar powers. I thought they were the same person because they both had like the green hair, like they looked very similar. And I don't think that's the case. I don't know if Scorpion was just created for this or what, but I thought she was a fascinating Oh, it was a really out. good 
take on this character and I really liked her intrusion her bleh, I really liked her inclusion and every bit she had to the Hulk series I do like that the Hulk was its own standalone series mm -hmm. he didn't really have a part to play and everything else he was just kind of trying to live his life do his thing and honestly Bruce Banner got exactly what he always wanted he was able to live in peace he has closure he's accepting with his other part and he's good well and it's interesting especially since i mentioned this earlier with the whole gene gray thing that um bruce you know his i guess what he always wanted is to be at peace with the hulk which is what he kind of gets and it's instead of him being like i want because i don't know if, if betty's alive at this point because she dies at some point in the comics and it's not like he wants her in his life and he wants to be married to her and all this stuff. It's like, no, I want to be at peace. And then he sleeps with Monica and that's that's that. And I'm like, it's interesting to see where some of these characters are. And again, I didn't read the Hulk series before this. So I don't know if they've established that he's just moved on from Betty or what's going on. But it would have been interesting to see what Betty Ross is doing at this point. Or even seeing uh, Thunderbolt Ross seeing what he's doing now i would have liked to see like a little easter egg inclusion of maybe bruce banner is at a diplomatic war with ross mm. or something like that just them going against each other or maybe um him going against abomination abomination that would have been cool to see some more like hulk villains show up like if yeah. we could have seen like maybe the leader seeing the abomination I would have loved to even see just Rick Jones running around in the background or something. Right. Um, I think the weirdest part out of all of it for me is that that's his idea of his like his perfect life. One, it's interesting that he becomes accepted and a part of the Australian uh, Aboriginals. Like he's accepted, even though he's an outsider. Yeah. He becomes one of them, and then he hulks out and destroys everything. And they're like, "All right, deuces." <laughs> like. <laughs> See you later, I guess. I mean, that's that's kind of what happens as the Hulk. That's true. I think the next series that we... The next tie-in series that I thought was very interesting, uh, having not read anything before or after, it was the Mutopia series, which um, I thought was a very good kind of boots-on-the-ground, like, street-level... Let's us know what the, the little people are up to, and I did think that was really cool. And seeing how there were people that had the mutant gene in them, just it wasn't activated, but there was a way to activate it. And you had panels of people in the street with bat wings growing out of their back. And I thought, the, what people go through to be accepted in that society. I mean, you have people walking around with enlarged prosthetics just to be seen as differently normal well what's interesting is that i think the series that this is kind of continuing is district x okay i don't know for certain but i'm i'm fairly certain that that's the series that takes place before and after so there's like some set pieces that we don't really know about going into this like we don't know why the officer is so upset when he's talking to to gregory the tree or gregory the tree whatever when he's talking to him at the beginning of the series and then you get the whole house of m thing and you know he's he's the cop you see bishop show up which i love i love seeing bishop show up 
and you see his whole thing with you know the shapeshifter or illusionist and his affair and everything and then you get like the final issue is the post house of m which i appreciated because you're seeing you know all these people don't have their powers and everything but then it gets into the the whole thing with his family where like his kid's been sh- like the the daughter who was shot like she's now got like the wound again and all this stuff and it's like i even though we saw the utopia story play out i still feel like i'm missing something here right i reading that final issue and i think this might be one of the few critiques i make of the of the story overall but it was very hard for me at the end to feel invested with these characters because even though we saw it play out in like the, the house of m world it's like, well, I don't know what happened here before. Like, I didn't read District X, and this isn't like with Incredible Hulk, where it's like Incredible Hulk number 800, whatever, 500, whatever, whatever it was. Like, this is Mutopia 1 to 5. Like, it, it's you're led to believe that it's this contained series, and yet it's pulling elements from a story that happened before and going into a story that happens after. Right. Which, for me personally, felt kind of jarring that they had a post house of M issue at the end there. Okay. I wish we got more of her point of view about everything going on, about her new life going on. I know we kind of got that with the Disney Plus series WandaVision, but I want the House of M Wanda's perspective. What's going on with her? Let's see her raising her new kids. Let's see her thinking about what's going on with the rest of the world. Well, and what's interesting is they kind of get into that, kind of but not really, in Battleworld House of M. So during the the Secret Wars series in 2015, 2016, uh, Marvel does all of these mini-series where they basically take these big events and just shorten them into five issues. And it's this series happening within the Secret Wars realm. And so there's a House of M kind of section here. And it's basically, what if those events didn't play out exactly how they did? And basically, the Avengers crew is now cut down to Hawkeye, uh, Black Cat, and Misty Knight. The rest of the crew is uh, abducted, and they're arrested. And you see Wanda's sons, because Young Avengers hadn't come out at this point in House of Mm -hmm. the in the main story. It comes out post-House of M. Okay. So you don't know that Wiccan and Speed are her long-lost sons. Right. Or the souls in the son's body, or however that plays out. In the Battle World story, because this is after all of that, it establishes that those are her sons, and they're the royal princes, and shows that they're actually fighting for human freedom during all of that. So you don't really see her raising them as much, but you see them you see. trying to kind of buck at Magneto's power and trying to free humans from these prisons and, like... Going against him. I like that. I really do. Um, Gabe, do you have anything to add? I think we still have, a, like, half of the tie-ins we haven't, yeah, we haven't we, touched we on We didn't yet. even talk about Iron Man. One thing that I really loved was the Mr. Sinister in the Deadpool and Cable issue. 
Oh wow, him raising baby Cable. And with like the apron on. <laughs> well, you know what's really fascinating with that is you that's the only time you get any kind of like a slight hint towards Jean Grey. Yeah. Is that he's like, Oh yeah, I took Scott Summers DNA and like some DNA from some chick in Connecticut or whatever. And like that is it. And it's like why why are we just ignoring Jean Grey at this point? I would have liked to see some Jean Grey. And I, I love whenever Sinister shows up for anything. Because he's so creepy. And, like, at, at this point in the comics, like, currently, he's very flamboyant. He's very, like, I'm very fancy with my cape, and I'm evil, but also fancy. And, like, that's kind of, that's basically the character yeah. now. And seeing him as, like, the mad scientist type thing in Cable and Deadpool I thought was great. I think my favorite part of that comic book was when he asks to use the bathroom and they're just talking through the bathroom door. And he comes <laughs> out and he's like, wash your hands. <laughs> and he goes back in and the dialogue just continues. <laughs> it's just such a Deadpool thing. I just, I love, I love that they allowed Deadpool into this universe. And this is, this is what I was saying earlier with Uncanny X-Men and Exiles is that they're just dropping 616 Deadpool in the middle of House of M. Yep. And like, all right, go play. And it's like not, it's not the House of M version of Wade Wilson. It's 616 I just dropping in there. if they're going to do something similar to that for Deadpool 3, just drop them into Earth-1999. I think that's the, the rumor I've been hearing. Or it's that, like, the TVA's chasing after him, and then they eventually merge him into uh, current Earth. Yeah, well, with Deadpool, nine, 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 nine. with Deadpool three, there's nine, also nine. all that, <laughs> all that talk about all of the old Fox movies. And being a Channing part. Tatum is Gambit. Yeah. Oh man. Oh my God. And that's it's 2014. We're getting Ben Affleck as Daredevil. The Magic Mike Cardman. <laughs> <laughs> the Fox Fantastic Four and a whole bunch of other really, really old school. <laughs> I think there's rumors that uh, McGuire might be showing up too. Right, but that's that's not what we're talking about today. We're still we're still talking about House of M. Well, Are we though? <laughs> <laughs> well, and since I I just touched on it, so for Exiles and having them show up, and the whole idea is they're trying to return Beak to six one six. Beak's such a fascinating character. Dude, he played such a huge role in that series, too. He, but he's just such an interesting dude to look at. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the point. Wrong. That's the oh, point. That's exactly what it is. He's a mutant among mutants. Like, that's what it is. Like, he's very... It's not even like Nightcrawler where he's, you know, a physical mutation, but, like, you can kind of look past that. Yeah. Beak is just... I love him, but he's he's an ugly boy. He's an yet, ugly chicken boy. Yet some I, supermodel walks up to him and goes, "What that beak do?" I think, <laughs> I think Morph was probably my favorite part of that Exiles series, only because of all of the characters that he portrayed. Like while he was trying to express something. Powers? No, not no. You're thinking of Mimic. Mimic was my favorite. Right. No, Morph. I liked he. Um, he did a comic book guy reference from The Simpsons, mm-hmm. and then he uh, he did an Edward Scissorhands reference when he was referencing Tim Byrne, and I I really liked those because it's it's a comic book portraying movies that 
and shows that we know, but are they're kind of saying that it's in their universe in some way, or more he goes through multiple universes. So in some universe, they have Tim Burns, Edward Scissorhands. What I, I definitely Simpsons comic book guy. I definitely recommend because I've, I've read bits and pieces of the Exile series outside of the House of Them. Uh, Mini and I, I highly recommend reading more of the Exiles because it mimics just a or sorry Morph is like their their powers are too their names similar but their names are too similar and their powers are vaguely similar. I and got them confused a lot while reading. I'm not gonna lie. Morph, I'm doing really good right now. If now. you if you like Morph, I highly recommend reading the rest of the Exiles. I think I'm going his, to his powers and his comedy i mean you see i i distinctly remember reading part of it and i won't spoil it since you're talking about reading it uh but he does get kind of emotional like it's not all just fun and games at certain points i love seeing that though that breaking point between such serious and funny characters very very similar with how much i love seeing batman break or something it's like that. it's so interesting to see well and it's i think it's more interesting to see the funny comedic characters break like jumping back to spider-man like seeing spider-man break and also become the green goblin right i thought is such an interesting take and so seeing morph in a later series like he kind of there's an emotional moment where he kind of breaks and it's just very interesting to see him going from this upbeat happy guy to then seeing what plays out. Perfect example when Spider-Man gets all his memories back, Peter Parker, and realizes everything that's happened. He realizes that everything that's gone on is a lie. And the fact that he knows that he has to fix it destroys him. What I'm and gonna, uh, sorry, not to interrupt, but no, I'm, I'm going to talk about his reaction at the end when we get to the end of the podcast. Because his reaction at the very end of the main series, I think, is, is amazing. Like the main, main series? Okay. The main, main series. Yes, when Peter Parker realizes that everything that's gone on is a lie, and just his moral code, the fact that he has to fix it and change everything, and he does not want... He has Uncle Ben, he has Gwen Stacy, he has a son... He has everything that he could ever want, and he has to stop it. His line in the main series, when he's talking to Luke Cage, and Luke's trying to call up Jessica Jones, because at this point in the main comics, they have a kid together, they're, I don't know if they're quite married yet, uh, but he, Luke calls up Jessica, and she's actually in a relationship with Scott Lang, uh, which they did in the Alias series, mm-hmm. but then... Luke tells Peter, he's like, oh, are you going to call Mary Jane? No, she's a supermodel, she's an actress, like, she's, you know, she's all of this, like, why am I, you know, her her life's so much better without me being a part of it. And it's very interesting to see in the miniseries that he still works closely with Mary Jane. Like, she's his leading lady in these movies, and so, yes, she has this rise to fame, but he's still there, he still has some kind of a pull with that. But there's also, I feel, that it goes into it in the What If series, where if Peter Parker had to choose between Gwen Stacy and Mary Jane, he, obviously he's going to 
say Mary Jane and stay with Mary Jane because he's married with her, but he really wants to be back with Gwen Stacy. And if he had to choose emotionally, he would absolutely choose Gwen Stacy. And I think that he didn't make that call to Mary Jane because he didn't want to. I, you might be right there, but I love in the What If series when uh, Aunt May basically pulls him off to the side and she's like, what are you doing? Yeah. You need to make a choice. You can't just bounce between both of them. You can't have both. Like, you need to pick what you're doing. If you're leaving Mary Jane, fine, go with Gwen. If you're leaving Gwen, fine, go with Mary Jane. But you can't have both. And it's his moral issue. It's a very big moral issue because he's married to Mary Jane and he doesn't want to break that vow, but... Gwen Stacy and his son are back and he still has those memories that they had over in that parallel universe which makes it even worse that he still has this love and he grew up with Gwen Stacy with a loving relationship and a child same way he did with Mary Jane the only difference is he didn't have a kid with Mary Jane and that definitely is a completely different bond well and what's really interesting so on TikTok, there's an audio from the show New Girl, and I've never watched the show, but the one character is talking about how he lied about breaking up with his ex-girlfriend, and he's actually dating the two women at the same time, and he's like trying to explain it to this other character, Nick, who is uh, Jake Johnson, who voices Peter Parker in uh, Into the Spider-Verse and Across the Spider-Verse. Okay. So, it's that, that actor, and he's like, so you, you broke up with so-and-so? No. <laughs> but you're dating so-and-so? Yes. Yeah. So then you broke up with this? No. I don't know what you need to do to rectify <laughs> this, but I didn't break up with anybody. I'm dating them both. He says, no, you can't have multiple wives. You get one wife. <laughs> you get one wife. <laughs> and the entire time I'm rereading the, the What If series, and I'm like, you get one wife, Peter. You get one. you got to pick. <laughs> and it's, yeah. Um, you gotta watch more New Girl. That's a great show. I need to watch. I, I keep wanting to watch it, and I just have not started oh, this. Um, I mean, honestly, what what would you guys have done in that situation? It's difficult, because, like you were saying, like, Peter, like, he fell in love with Gwen first. Right. And he loved her. And the guilt, I, I wonder at this point, because it's so many years for us since Gwen died. And I think with the, the sliding time scale, it might be like maybe five years for Peter or whatever mm -hmm. it is. But I think... I think they point, mentioned that, that it was around five years since. Something like that. And I think at this point, Peter's in love with the idea of Gwen Stacy and what she would be. And not so much in love with Gwen Stacy. Right. Like, he loves the idea of her and the idea of what life would be and all of this stuff. But it's not, like, who's to say if, you know, Norman hadn't tossed her off the bridge that they still would have been together? Uh, yeah, no, I completely get that same thing with Captain America. Well, and so moving on to uh, the new X-Men series, which I thought, again, I hadn't read up to this point in the new X-Men, the main series. But this one you see, the new X-Men and the Helians... Uh, basically, the the Helians work for Shield, and then the New X Men are like their own their own private thing. Yeah, and seeing them team up and seeing you're seeing this international reaction to the House of M. 
which I loved with The Incredible Hulk and seeing Australia's point of view and seeing uh, Black Panther's point of view for it when you go into his single issue and seeing then with Japan's point of view. And everybody's talking about, oh, you know, Sunfire is, is so tolerant and Japan so tolerant and all this stuff. And then you find out the entire time the government's doing these experiments on people to make them mutations, to mutate them. Which was rough and very, very, very much so gave me Guardians of the Galaxy 3 vibes with Absolutely. the testing and the mutations and all that. It was just very... It was dark. It was very dark. Well, if you want to talk about dark, when... Uh, I can't think of her name. When the, the blonde chick makes uh, Quentin Guire kill himself. Oh, man. I know. And she, yeah. she says something. She's like... Or he says, he's like, oh, you know, I can just use my, my telepathy and just turn off your brain and make you, you know, whatever. And she's like, oh, so that's how you would do it. Do it to yourself. And then him just die. And I'm like, that's... That whole series was very, very... This whole thing was dark. I'm trying to think if there are any other tie-ins that we haven't really Iron touched Man. on. Well, Iron Man, yes, you mentioned that earlier. Yeah, we haven't really talked about Iron Man. I mean, I loved the fact that Howard Stark was still alive. And Tony was running things because Howard was retired. But you still had Howard barking in Tony's ear, being his better in the Sentinel. Howard being the master puppeteer that he is when it comes to Tony, and seeing how he manipulates everything from the beginning to the end of that series. And throughout the entire series, you are made to think that he's this bad guy, but he keeps telling you, I'm not the bad guy, just do what I'm saying. I'm not the bad guy, just do what I'm saying. But everything he's doing is making us think, no, you're you're a dick. Well, and looking at it with fresher eyes after having read the Secret Invasion tie-ins and knowing that Hank Pym's a scroll at this point, right. and you have him being the one who plants the bombs everywhere, and it really, for me, makes me think... Because at this point, Hank's got his memories back. He knows he's a scroll. He knows something's wrong. Mm -hmm. Is he blowing everything up for the, the humans? Or is he just doing it for himself, for the scrolls? That's what they establish in the Secret Invasion, the New Avengers tie-ins, is that Hank, almost immediately when the House of M is created... He and Jessica Drew have their scroll memories come back. Like, slowly, but they come back. Yeah. And so at this point in time, because this takes place after his conversation with Hank McCoy, he has those memories back. So he's a scroll through, throughout the events of House of M, Iron Man. Okay. And, like, Jer uh, sorry, like Gabe pointed out, was that you have Human Torch, you have uh, Johnny Storm show up as the hotshot uh, other mech fighter. I thought that was a really cool twist. When the fact that he was like, he's like, all right, yeah, let's just go. Let's. He, he just jumps into it. He's like, all right, we're, we're fighting the government. Let, let's do this. Let's do this. <laughs> he's like, let's, just, let's do this. I don't care what's happening. Let's go ahead. Let's go. And he, he's just ready to do just anything, which I thought was great. 
I love that in this, Iron Man Tony Stark still had his secret identity. And of all people for them to think it was, it was Johnny Storm. Right. And there was also that beautiful twist at the end where Howard Stark ended up being good and knew what he was doing with the bombs, this, that, and the third. The day was saved. Magneto is keeping a very close eye on Tony Stark. I love seeing Genus Vell. I, I love seeing when he pops up in things. Yeah. Um, mainly because he's just kind of a sad character. And actually, so going back, I mentioned with the Hulk bit that it would have been nice to see Rick Jones. They at least mention him in Thunderbolts because he and Genus Bell have that um, that shared mind relationship. Okay. Um, I mentioned it earlier, but the Black Panther one, seeing, again, the international kind of view on what's going on with the world um and it's interesting to see that in the avengers story that they're basically just funneling humans over to wakanda to like keep them safe and hide them from magneto i think other than those now you said you had something about the end of spider-man that you wanted to say earlier did you touch on that or no so what my kind of goal was with this podcast which i think we've done beautifully is that i want to talk about we talked about the beginning of the story we talked about house of m and then i want to talk about the end of house of m right so i guess at this point unless there's any other tie-ins we want to talk about i think it was crazy with with the end of house of m uh, seeing all of the mutants lose their abilities. And it actually goes into the fact of it, it could be a global catast- catastrophe because how many mutants are powering our day-to-day life and actually keeping things afloat? And what we think is modern technology sustaining our you know, our life. It's actually mutants just keeping things afloat. For all we know, there is one mutant that was controlling all technology in the world and keeping things going and electricity. And as soon as Wanda did that, nothing. Dark days. And of course, Wanda says the the three magic words of no more mutants. And, which seeing uh, that seeing the panel where she says that gives me chills every time. And the world and the world goes to white. But even before that point, because I definitely want to talk about the the decimation of the mutant gene, seeing the big fight in front of basically Wanda's tower of the heroes who have their their memories back and the House of M people. And I know we were talking about Hawkeye coming back. Him coming back. Amazing. Him coming back in Cloak's Cloak and him just like showing up with the arrow. I was like, that is the best way to see him come back. And I, I've said it you guys can make this a Bendis point or whatever we want to call it but Bendis was the one who killed him in Avengers Disassembly right you have him come back and it's this great moment of oh my god he's back and then he kills him again and then he comes back again but seeing seeing Hawkeye die in that moment or evaporate in that moment was also, to me, just a chilling scene to see. Yes. And then Magneto finding out that Pietro was the one who masterminded the whole thing. I loved that. You used my name 
that gave me and chills. him just throwing everything at Pietro and killing it. he kills him he kills Pietro Wanda brings him back and Pietro's just there yeah, begging for his life. Yeah, that's why. That's oh why yeah, then Wanda the, brings him back. Wanda yeah. brings him back, and when he says they were going to kill her, and that that scene right there was. And you see it later when you see him. You just see this guy in a cloak, or not a cloak, but a trench coat and a hat, and he just keeps saying, "I only wanted to help. I only wanted to help." And then they show us Pietro. Yeah. He's like homeless now. Well, and that's what I was saying earlier. So he ends up then getting the the Terrigen mists and getting a version of powers back before they like reset his powers. Uh, but then yeah, so all of that happens, and then Wanda's like, you know, I did all of this for all of you. I did this for you, talking to Magneto, and then she says, no more mutants. And like Gabe said, when I read it, like my heart stopped. I was like, what does that mean? And you see everybody wake up. You see Logan wake up in a field, which is not the first time he's done that. <laughs> um, but you have Bobby, uh, Bobby Drake, Iceman, losing his power. Sweating. You have the blob uh, just all fat. I really liked how they did the take on the blob. The, the uh, House of M, the day after, which is that issue where you see the blob, mm-hmm. and he gets so depressed. Well, because the the his superpower isn't so much that he's the blob. I guess it's he's the super vulnerable. To, like, yeah, keep all the skin up and just seeing the skin flaps. And now he's as heavy as he is, and I'm surprised that they show him walking. Yeah, well, and it's I think there's a later issue during the Decimation series. So after House of M, there's the Decimation series where it goes into what's going on with the mutants at this point. Right. They've been depowered to 198 mutants, give or take, uh, left with powers out of the thousands, maybe million mutants that there had been. Yeah. And it goes into, like, they basically become guarded in a compound around Xavier's mansion. And that's where they keep the the X-Men leading into civil war and everything but seeing the depowering of mutants is wild and then even just seeing when everybody reconvenes in avengers tower and you see peter's about to have a breakdown and you see everybody like what everybody is just so depressed and uh strange shows up dr strange shows up which the fact that he was a psychiatrist in the House of M universe I thought was fascinating. And the fact that his patient was the Sentry I thought was great. Yeah. Because uh, if anybody needs help, it's the Sentry. Uh, but when Peter's like, can you take it out of my mind? Like, I remember everything. Can and he's begging. Out of my mind? Like, can you please just take it? And he's like, no, I, I can't do that. It's not how that works. Like, I can't do that. He's like, just do it and he's like banging on the table and he's like just do it just take take my memories away and i, I of course really like that getting mad and luke cage putting his his hand on his chest like you can afford it like it's fine i like that logan is the one that's been sympathizing with peter parker and he's kind of the one that's there communicating with him and being that shoulder for him mm-hmm. and um i also see that whole scene is very similar and reminds me of Avengers Age of Ultron 
where after Wanda Maximoff gets in all of the Avengers' heads. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, it's the Avengers on the jet. Captain kind of doing like a, a post kind of debrief kind of a thing. Yep, Captain America is on comms back with Shield. We took a hit today, pretty hard, and that's that's that exactly what I saw. Is, Wanda yeah. Maximoff, one by one, took on the Avengers mentally and did the exact same thing, and that's very, just two very similar outcomes i see well and then we see the scene or the panels after that when there's the alert at avengers mansion right and there's the uh article about hawkeye's death with just the arrow through it mm -hmm. yeah bendis brought hawkeye back again and you see that play out in the new avengers series so after this point all of this happens you have no idea where Wanda is after this. Mm -hmm. uh, Magneto does not have any um, does not have any powers anymore. Xavier doesn't have any powers anymore. And what's fascinating is that if you see the the ending panels of um, of House of M of the main story, they talk about you know all this power, all this these mutant powers are gone but they can't just be gone they have to be somewhere right. and you see that flash of light if you read because it's just one story if you read new avengers volume four which is the collective mm -hmm. you find out that this these powers are just basically in the atmosphere and before they before anything happens with them maria hill abducts spider-man just like well no so the New Avengers are fighting somebody. Backtrack. And, backtrack. And Spider-Man and a newly formed, basically, baby Vision, who's part of the Young Avengers, are, like, meeting with Maria Hill, and they're, like, walking through everything with S.H.I.E.L.D., and Maria Hill uses her psychics. They basically turn off the Vision and make Peter black out, and they bring him to in an interrogation room. And they make it a point to not tell anyone prior to this that House of M happened and that it was caused by a mutant. So all they know is just that mutants lost their powers. They don't right. know. They don't the know the average person does not know what happened. They don't know what's going on. They don't know anything else. And Maria Hill wakes Spider-Man up and she goes, what is House of M? And she's like, I've got this guy who used to be a mutant who's in one of my cells screaming and raging about House of M and I need to know what, what that is. Right. And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> and then like she has the psychic like delve into his brain wow. to pull out his memories as to what happened. That's how they do it. That's their type of interrogation. And then after this, these abilities, this collective ability comes down from the atmosphere and hits a postal worker in Antarctica. Blows up his entire town. Postal Worker becomes known as the Collective. He has all these abilities and has a one-track mind to go to Genosha. Goes to Genosha where uh, Magneto's basically just exiled himself and gives these powers to Magneto. And so then the new Avengers have to fight Magneto, resulting him maybe or maybe not dying, which of course he didn't because nobody, nobody stays dead in comics. Never. 
Never. And so then that's kind of almost like the epilogue to House of M, like what happened with all these powers and abilities. Right. Okay. And then we don't see... One of the things I love about House of M is that it's one of those stories that you feel the repercussions of for years to come. It's not like, I mean, Civil War, you feel it a few years after, you know, Secret Invasion, you feel kind of the repercussions a little bit after that. But House of M, I mean, from the moment it starts to basically up until Avengers versus X-Men, the entire world is just not the same. Right. Yeah. It's a wild turn for that universe. And I, I really liked seeing how Scott Summers was on comms with everybody around the world, all of their allies, trying to get help. And everybody is, they all say, we're having the same issue here. And we need to handle our own people. And it's, it's crazy seeing that another kind of global catastrophe caused by Wanda Maximoff. And leading off from there, I'm wondering what you guys are rating this F minus through A plus. Oh, it gets a, it gets an A plus out of me. The entire, a plus. The entire story. Perfect grading from the you. entire story for me is just great. Seeing these different versions of of all of these characters that we know, and I feel like there's something for everybody here. Like, if you just want to know, all right, what happens to Peter Parker in this, you can just pick up that individual story. And, like, these self-contained, if you want to just focus on one character, you don't have to read the full story. You can just read these minis. It doesn't matter what happened in the main book. You can read the miniseries, and that's great. You could ignore all the miniseries and just read the main book, and it's still great. You get the whole concept from all of it, yeah. But then when you do read it all, it just builds this huge story. Which is even more amazing. And that's why you should always read all of it, guys. Go the extra mile. Come on. Don't be a bitch. Well, and if you want to see what happens with Wanda after this, read uh, Avengers The Children's Crusade. And you find out kind of why Wanda did what she did. You find out there's some machinations happening in the background that happen. It takes you kind of pre-House of M. And you find out why she was the way she was. Okay. Uh, Gabe, this is your all-time favorite. I can only assume yours, but go ahead. A plus. A plus. Hands down, A plus. Yeah, go to, go go off as a why. I very similar to what Anthony said. I like that you can read certain characters, but you can also read it overall. But it just it changes the entire universe. You get in a completely new perspective on all these characters. You have no idea what to expect. I had no idea how it was going to end the whole time, and that's one of the main reasons I love certain stories. I love the surprise. When it wasn't predictable, like there exactly. are some stories, it was like so because you had no idea what was going if to you happen. Read certain events, it's like all right, but you know everything is going to be fine at the end. Like everything is going to somehow work its way, and like yeah, you know, but something you don't know. might happen. But for this to end the way it does. And then you have the repercussions. You have it. It, it doesn't just win? end. It doesn't just end in the final issue. They basically lost. It reminds me of Avengers: Infinity War, just because like 
the way they're leaving it off and all that uncertainty and you have no idea how this change is going to affect all these characters. I am going to go in with my rating as a solid solid A. No plus, no minus, just solid A. And I, I loved every bit about it. Shun the non-believer. <laughs> Shun. Shun. <laughs> Shun me if you must. But oh, <laughs> we already started the shunning. I loved every, I not every bit about it. I loved how, like you guys said, the uncertainty. I loved every take on every character, and I thought it was great. The only thing I didn't like, there were a lot of things that just felt unfinished with the um. Mutopia, or I was very confused as to why Peter Parker shaved his whole head. Just stuff like that. Just things that didn't really make sense to me. But other than that, I really liked it. That's why it's getting the solid A. I have a feeling now that I think about it, since we're back on Peter's shaved head, uh, that the Spider-Man series came out after issue whatever when you see Spider-Man in the main book. Right. And I think then they had to try to figure out some way to explain why he had a shaved head. And they're like, alright, he just wanted to do it. Like, that was just, that was the change that they made in the main book. And then for the miniseries, they're like, alright, well, we have to explain this somehow. Oh, God. Alright. I have a feeling that's probably what it, it was. That's just so dumb. They're trying to that's write it such back. lazy. I, 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 I'm, I'm not basing that on anything. I know, that's just your assumption, but... Oh, come but on. I really I, wish that's that would that's be not my, my belief. <laughs> but, um... Alright, thanks. Thanks for coming in, guys. See you again in two weeks. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.